106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. It's uh, another ISO week. What are we, week eight? I don't even know anymore. Yeah. Uh, but but we have a ray of light in an otherwise um, dark, dark evening in Sydney and that is a very, very special guest, uh, comedian, TV personality, News, parodyman, and all-round king of satire, Mr. Dan Illich. Tristan and Greg, it is great to be with you on the Double Impact podcast. I'm ready to double my impact wherever I go tonight. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Strong yeah. energy. This guy gets it. <laughs> Love it. I don't know. Just, I think the name is very kinetic. Mm. So, you know, when, when I see the logo on the tile, I, I imagine the big metal slams mm. and big whooshes that go with it, like... Double impact. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That's the that's kind of vibe a, I'm getting from. That's exactly what the vibe we're trying to evoke. So it's nice to know that <laughs> the, the system works. Exactly. <laughs> but let's talk about you for a second, Dan, because sure. I mean, people know you from many, many things. Ronnie John's Half Hour, Hungry Beast, <laughs> Tonightly, your podcast, Irrational Fear. But me personally, you probably don't remember this because – uh, it was a long time ago, but back in Macquarie, did you go to Macquarie Uni or were you just hanging around there? Yeah, you man, went I, to went to, I went yeah. to I went to Club Mac for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Club Macman myself, and um, I was studying media and cultural studies, and I had um, a few units to make up, and I I decided to do radio production because it sounded interesting, and I ended up interviewing you way back in must have been like 2004, three? maybe four? three, okay. yeah, three yeah, or four. And for me, I mean, it was it was a highlight in what was otherwise a terrible, terrible course that I was like that. That subject was yeah. fucking torture because I had been it was all group work, and I'd been mm. teamed up with this person, and she was. In hindsight, I've realised I think it's the first sociopath I've ever met. Mm. It's before I'd entered the corporate world. But anyway, for whatever reason, we ended up <laughs> – she somehow – Look, they say, they say the university doesn't prepare you, but clearly it prepared you for the real world. Well, in world. hindsight, yeah. it really well, did. Macquarie because... University prepares you to deal with sociopaths <laughs> in the corporate world. From Macquarie University to Macquarie Bank. That's, what, that's, the, that's the trajectory. And that's the marketing campaign. Yeah. Yeah. We promise the sociopath at every course. We just throw one into If you can't make spot it spicy. Them, it's you. <laughs> um, but yes, <laughs> no, funny. it was otherwise a delightful um, experience because we were chatting to you, I think, about culture jamming back in the day. And it was fascinating oh, stuff. Yeah. And it was, That's, it was genuinely. I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it was genuinely a highlight. So I like to think this is like a full circle moment where <laughs> uh, radio of all things, I wasn't that interested in making radio. I just thought well, it was look an at you. Now you've got the Double Impact podcast and I am constantly still culture jamming. There you go. Look at us now. <laughs> a lady who I forgot her name was, sociopath lady. Look at us now. Well, uh, I, I, the only reason why I did radio is because I didn't have enough marks to get into film production. They needed, I needed like a high GPA or something. And and me too. Regardless, all the people that went into film, I never saw any of their films. But I 
managed to get an, get a little career going in television. So there you fuck go. those people. Take that, fuckers. <laughs> exactly. I um I tried to get into media production as well. I ended up doing media and cultural studies at same, Club Black. Yeah. And um yeah, same thing. It just the whole system doesn't make any bloody sense. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> We're not here to talk about the chips in our shoulders. We're here to fill them in with spack filler and move in with a move on with our day. Hey, buddy, you want some uh, you want some hot and spicy salsa with that chip on your shoulder? Let me bring it to you. Uh, um, before we get into the movie, because we we're going to talk obviously about the Blues Brothers. Mm. Mm. Uh, when we have guests on the show, Greg prepares a few rapid fire questions to help our. Uh, Listeners at home get to get to know our guests a little bit better. Let's do it, Greg. Yeah. Do you have music? I've got some jazz. Do you want, to, do you want me to play some jazz for you? Yeah, let's put on some yeah, jazz. I like jazz. Jazz. <laughs> let's do it. So this, it's not so rapid fire typically, Dan. So you just, you know, you do you through this. If you want to go down a wormhole on any of your answers, you do it. Okay. Question the first. Indiana Jones or Han Solo? Ooh, uh, Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Yeah. Uh, question the second: Belushi or Ackroyd? Ooh. Belushi. Belushi. Yeah. Tough choice. Mm. Yeah, he's got he's got a longer. Oh, sorry, he's got a shorter window of. Uh, a shorter window of, of, of an oeuvre. Um, I think yeah. also what's appealing to me is that I'm a short guy with some extra kilos that likes to dance. And so I really relate to, <laughs> to Belushi in this one. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think that's probably uh, that's probably why I err on the side of Belushi. I'll take it. And the whole and the ho- and the whole skull vodka thing really really threw me off Acroyd. Right? <laughs> is that his? He's yeah, a fascinating human. We, oh, oh, I've yeah. got a bit more on him later because he's a, yeah. he's an oddball. He's 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 unique. You either die a hero or live long enough to invent crystal skull vodka. I think that's how. <laughs> well, one day I hope also to uh, sell out and make a ton of money selling something to somebody because I haven't done it yet. I hear Same. I accidentally bought George Clooney's tequila recently. Oh, that's meant oh. to be good though, isn't it's it? Delicious. Like Airman tequila or something. I can't. I don't know. I, I just thought the bottle looked authentic. And is it better than the rocks my, tequila? I, I'll never know. Yeah, good. <laughs> Correct answer. It is in my mind. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Third question: Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan? Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan all day long. Only because Jackie. I mean, Bruce Lee. Uh, uh, God bless him. Didn't live enough. Didn't live long enough to kind of. Um, be the man he was meant to be. He became an icon, though. You know, Bruce Lee. He was a he mm. paved the way mm. for lots lots of folks. But I feel like Jackie Chan is really great with comedy. So I'm I'm in for Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan is knows who he is and knows how to undercut himself. And he's a he's a comedian at heart. I like him. He's a bit of a genius. He was on my TV earlier this afternoon. My son was watching Lego Ninjago the film. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, is that Jackie Chan's voice? I'm like, surely he hasn't done a lot of voice work. <laughs> He's um, but here he was. He was an intro and outroing, telling the story of of Lego Ninjago. I thought I'd seen most of his films, but there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Right. This is a tough one. This stumps a lot of people. Sure. Pamela Anderson or Sally Field. 
Pamela Anderson, this uh, what are you, what are we talking about here? What's going on? <laughs> well, Sally Field was also a Mrs. Doubtfire, and she was very good. And she won. A, did she win an Oscar for Mrs. Doubtfire? She won something. Um, won she won heart. her hearts. Yeah, she go. won her hearts, Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Look, Pamela Anderson. Yeah, I'm just yeah. uh, I'm just tallying up how much sperm I dedicated to both of those when I was younger. <laughs> um, yeah. Let me re- review the data. There are <laughs> there are tissues in. <laughs> In landfills all around Sydney that are dedicated to Pamela Henderson. <laughs> yeah, look, it's um, I'll get my Sally Field uh, ally one one of these days. <laughs> Where are we? Okay, big one: Van Damme or Steven Seagal? Oh, tough choices. Steven Seagal has gone all serious and has actually become a law enforcement officer, uh, <laughs> yeah. and he has his own reality TV show in America. Um, uh, all based around him being a cop. Um, so accents. because yeah. because he is a genuine cop, I'll have to go with um, Van Damme. <laughs> yes, that was a close call. Man, you had us on the ropes there. <laughs> Man, that was yeah, close. We haven't had a Seagalman yet. Um, we intend to keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, but that's definitely a filtered Look, uh, Under Siege was great. Like, Under Siege was a great mm. film. Under Siege yeah, 2, true. also not bad. But I like just Under be- Siege 2. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Two, oh, that two. was the one on the plane, right? Uh, Under Siege 2 was on the train. Oh, Close. on the train. Uh, right. There was a helicopter that crashed on the train. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought Under Siege, Under Siege 1 was great because you got you got that USS Missouri, you got that history, you got that Pearl Harbor vibe. Oh, man, there was mm. a lot of stuff. You got um, Erica. beautiful women jumping out of a cake. Um, just, you know, just some good stuff going on there. That's right. True. And she would be in Baywatch Girl. With clothes, yeah, she was. For, you know, yes, much of that's right. Yeah, yeah. Our and also, also, you. Oh no, he was he the chef on that boat as well. Sure Great, was. another <laughs> another chef gone bad. I love that. That is excellent. Casey Ryback. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it harkens back to another film of mine. I don't know if you've ever done. If you want to do a sequel with me, and you haven't done Red Hunt for Red October, I'll gladly do a Hunt for Red October with you. Um, Ooh. Because because uh, there's a great line of that where where um, the Baldwin brother goes, it was the goddamn chef. <laughs> oh really? Because the, there's, there's a chef shooting at them. I need to rewatch that. So we could do a mini series of badass chefs. <laughs> yeah. It's not a bad do, idea. Do a, yeah, do a compilation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Switching to a musical gear. Uh-huh. Uh, Biggie or Tupac. Uh, to be honest, I'm too white to know either of their work too well. So, can I <laughs> they, err on the side of can I err on the side of Beastie Boys? <laughs> you sure can. You can take a C. Absolutely, we'll accept C. <laughs> Question seven: Whitney or Mariah? Whitney. Yeah, I'll go Whitney. I think I'd go Whitney. That's a new one. Yeah. I don't feel strongly either way. I mean, Mariah Carey did um, have sex with James Packer uh, probably, and mm. I, I, I don't know if I can respect that. <laughs> <laughs> I can respect that rationale. Yeah. yeah. Though I do have a James Packer story. I was running Bondi the Bronte one day and I saw him walking with a short guy with a beard um, and I, he, was running the other, he was coming the other way and I said, G'day, mate. He said, G'day, champ. And uh, no, we ran past each other, and I and I realised straight <laughs> afterwards that that was Brett Ratner. And what I oh, should have done Ratner. was, oh, get a, oh, uh, wow. get a James, get a Brett. Uh, here's my uh, here's my here's my feature film idea in thirty seconds. 
couple of thoughts, <laughs> couple of thoughts for you boys while you're having a couple of thoughts uh, as we're as we're both exercising Bondo de Bronte. Uh, you know, imagine this: a chef on a boat goes crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Could be a submarine. Open, could be a submarine. Could be, could be a train. Could be a train. Ooh. Transport and chefs. Anywhere you find a chef and a, on some sort of moving object, uh, and then he's got to he's got to break out. It's got to be great. Yeah, writes itself. There's already knives there. It's genius. Genius. Chef <laughs> in a knife factory goes crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon, boys? These days, yeah. <laughs> so, as we like to say on the show, story by. We like to <laughs> yeah, story um, fish by. for some story by credits. That's our that's our life goal here on the show is to get it's some to get story, a story by, by credits in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, if I can give you any tip, it would be to buy a bunch of napkins you can write those stories on the back of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Christmas-themed uh, film selection here, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or Die Hard? Um, die Hard. Die Hard all day. Die Hard's very good. Good, great Christmas movie. yippee ki mm-hmm. motherfucker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Damn right. Damn right. Uh, this one's uh, specific for you. Uh, podcasting or stand-up? Um, <clears throat> stand-up is a lot harder. Podcasting is so much easier. And uh, I will say stand-up. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I'll say it's hard. It's hard. you got to, you know, you got to do years of it to get any good at it. I'm still not mm-hmm. very good at it. It's very scary. It's very scary, yeah. All right, finally, number 10. This is a, an Aussie-themed question, so for our US listeners, probably, it probably won't mean as much to you. Uh, fast forward or full frontal? Oh, damn, wow, that's great. Um, I will say fast forward, the OG. Full frontal, also good. Later seasons of full frontal really dropped off, but yeah. I'll, I'll lean into the original fast forward, yeah. Yeah, a lot of good people on that. Uh, Eric Banner only joined... During the full frontal years, Sean yeah. McAuliffe joined in the full frontal years. Sean McAuliffe, though, was a writer on Fast Forward. Was um, he? Good intel. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure he was, yeah. And my old mentor, Glenn Robbins, started out on, um, or not started out, but was on um, Fast Forward. So I'll go Fast Forward on that one. Oh, Glenn Robbins. Your mentor was Glenn Robbins? Yeah, Glenn Robbins. He was the executive producer of the Ronnie Johns Half Hour. He oh, was, really? Um, he was my boss, yeah. For, well, I was going to say because... There was there was fast forward then full frontal and Greg and I were talking before and we felt like it, the Ronnie John's half hour felt like the next mm. gen of of you know, <laughs> three generations there yeah yeah I love we should have we should have got a third season we should have got a third season I agree yeah. yeah it was there was a a strong legacy and I think it very much held up to the legacy that we had in this country on on sketch comedy oh uh, thank yeah. you it was like we didn't know what we were doing we were like kids we were just like throwing shit at the wall we were straight out of Dramac. Straight from Dramac yeah. into 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 Ronnie Johns, pretty much. That's perfect, though. You don't second guess your ideas, and I think it probably hit us at just the right age because we probably had the same energy of like, look at these guys. It was it was a bit looser, but it was exciting, and it was yeah, hilarious. it was pretty loose, yeah. And you look at some of that stuff today, and you're like, ooh, we would be cancelled <laughs> for the stuff about is it potato or is it gnocchi? Is it pasta? <laughs> Controversial stuff. <laughs> that was see. That was that was a comrev. That was a comrev sketch from Macquarie University that we oh, transposed into. We transposed into um into this other character. Yeah, I loved it though. It made me think. Pretty funny. I mean, Chopper as well. Like Heath Franklin's yeah. Chopper. We did we did that at Comedy Review. You know, two years in a row. 
uh, and then yeah. took that to Melbourne for Comedy Festival. So, yeah, that, I mean, that made it on to Ronnie John's from, from Macquarie University. So good. Heath is still doing it. Heath's still, He's still traveling the world doing that character, yeah. Pays his mortgage. Wow. Living the dream. Yeah. Um, so that's our rapid fire. <laughs> Not so rapid fire. Um, Dan, did you want to touch on why you chose this film? That's probably That's probably a good idea. So there were quite a few films that I used to have on VHS that I would put on relentlessly as a child. Um, one would have been the the Disney Robin Hood animated cartoon. Um, that with was the with the fox, you know, with yeah. that great song. Boo ba doo boo boo ba doo boo 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 doo boo 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 so there was that one, and then uh, and then there was this one. There was Blues Brothers. Somehow my brothers recorded it once on television, and then uh, we had it we had it uh, on VHS, and I would just play it relentlessly from start to finish. It was the most exciting, most hilarious uh, video cassette tape that we had in the in the library, and yeah. it would always it would get a run. Like I I like I I must watch it. I must know every word of it um, back to back. And then when we wow. got our first, very first wow. CD player, the very first CD we got was the Blues Brothers soundtrack. Oh. And so that got a real workout Damn. in our family as well. And what a soundtrack it is. That's a cracking soundtrack. So good. Oh. This is a strong upbringing. This is, this is good. Because, <laughs> I, <laughs> because I, was, I, was, I was a little, this film had the unfortunate path into my life, which was through school, which made it immediately lame when I was really young. So oh. I kind of, I kind of accidentally rejected it early on. So I think it was maybe year seven or something in music class. Wow, on oh, a right. rainy day wow. or something. Yeah, and so I, I kind of, I think we just watched a few clips from it or something for obvious reasons now in hindsight because it's great music. But um, at the time, I think I was in my, you know, air quotes, rebellious years, and I was like, lame. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It took me a while to come around to it. And then uh, in later years, obviously, I got around to it. I'm like, oh, my God, this thing is fucking awesome. But um, mm. it's it, I was definitely later to it. And I've probably watched it through once or twice, but I haven't had it on high rotation. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't watched it in years. I haven't watched it in years, but I maintain it as my favourite film. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, you've watched it enough to know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Greg? Was this a big one for you? Yeah, it, it's it's always been there. So I was trying to reflect on my memory of it, but it was hard in that I watched it a lot as a kid but then probably watched it even more as like a uni-aged kind of kid. Um, yeah. And that's when, I, that's when I really sort of started to understand it and appreciate it. Um, when I was a kid it was just about the car crash at the end or the, the chase at the end. Yeah. And then as I got older and I started realising who these people were, um, exactly. You know, the musicians, yeah. particularly, I was like, oh, oh, that's Ray Charles, or oh, yeah. that's Cab Calloway, and all these absolute legends of of, of rhythm and blues, um, and that kind of took this film to a whole another level for me, and like, yeah, so it's it's, it's a pretty special special film for me as well. For me, for me, it's just the it's the jo- it's just the jokes, it's the dialogue, it's how everything is undercutting everything else, it's the constant one-upmanship of the barriers that they've got to do to get this concert going. <laughs> it yeah. is the absolute ridiculous 
um, inciting incident with the with the nun saying that they need five thousand dollars, which seems like such a paltry amount in twenty twenty one, doesn't it? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and just like these guys, uh, you know, are being slapped around by this scary Catholic woman. And as someone who went to Catholic schools all their life, I found it extremely appealing that these two good Catholic boys went about fundraising for their <laughs> for their old school. <laughs> Yeah. And everything undercutting everything else was just glorious. Like Nazis, John Candy's performance. <laughs> like I read um a long I read an interview with John Landis a long time ago and he said that they ended up having a three hundred page script by the time they finished yeah. the initial script and then they whittled it down to like a hundred and something pages. But still when you watch when you watch um the Bose Brothers, it is uh the, the first hour is slow. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. you can probably cut an hour out of it, and you'd be you'd be all right. But that is tension building. I feel like that is a beautiful. You need it. It works. Yeah. Slow tension building. You know, building this team of musicians that having to put on the show. Well, yeah. that's it. Like they didn't speak. They don't speak to each other for. I, I, it's something like the first nine minutes or something. There's no dialogue. Well, sorry, between the you know the main characters uh-huh, yeah. don't speak. Yeah. The first character to speak is the. Uh, is the guy who is giving um, Jake Elwood his mm. uh, his gear back from the prison, right? Um, does, and yeah. and what wh- who that character who that guy is is actually Frank Oz. Yeah. Um, and when you watch it now, you go, "Oh my god, that is Frank Oz!" And wow, he sounds so close to Kermit there. Like it's <laughs> it's Kermit the Frog is handing back these condoms back. To- <laughs> One prophylactic. One soiled. Yeah, One Timex digital watch broken. <laughs> One unused prophylactic. One soiled. Dun, 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 dun. My, my Kermit the Frog always comes out like Ray Romano. Hey, yes. uh, Debra, I lost a sigh. Also, Raphael. Um, <laughs> Debra. It's not easy being green, Deborah. <laughs> Just one side note, one comedy side note about Ray Romano. If you oh, yeah. love comedy, make sure you download Phil Rosenthal's um, You're Lucky You're Funny audiobook and and listen to it. It is fantastic about the creation of of uh, Everyone Loves Raymond and about show running. It is unbelievable book, absolutely worth listening to. Oh, really? Okay. Sounds good. I'm in. All right. Speaking of behind-the-scenes stuff, how about I get into the origin story of this film? Yeah, let's do it. Origin story. All right. So this one, again, because this film came to me later in life, it, I was always a little bit confused as to where it came from. Like it was, it's, such a, it's such a unique piece of pop culture history. Like I was always a little vague on, on the details of where it came from. But interestingly... It's, it technically predates SNL a little bit. I mean, they had their, their on-screen appearance huh. officially on mm. SNL, but Dan Aykroyd, years before Crystal Skull Vodka, years before the Blues <laughs> Brothers, was always a, a into the blues. I think he's a musician himself. Well, obviously he's in the Blues Brothers, but he played music growing up and he owned a number of blues bars throughout his life. And in the early years, he owned one called the 505 Club. And... Um, in Toronto, in Canada, I believe. And um, it was within these walls that the idea kind of first sparked. I've got a little clip of him talking about it here. The club where we came up with the Blues Brothers was a, was a speakeasy that I had in Toronto called the 505 Club. And John was up recruiting the National Lampoon Radio Hour 
trying to steal talent from Second City and bring them down to New York. He managed to, to grab Gilda Radner. I didn't want to go because I was on a children's TV show. I had Second City. I was making more money than the Prime Minister of Canada. Plus, I had my speakeasy. I had walls of cash, uh, literally cash in the walls, from this uh, after-hours illegal booze can called the 505 Club. And the night John came up to recruit for radio show, we came back to the blue booze can. We had a party there, and we started to play old blues records. And I had a downchild blues band. Put them on. He said, who's this? I said, well, this is Downchild Blues Band, local blues band. He said, you're from Chicago. I said, John, you should know about the blues. He said, well, I'm into Grand Funk and Allman Brothers. I said, well, that's all blues. And uh, sort of I reacquainted him with, uh, with blues, and he reacquainted me with sort of heavy metal. And Howard Shore was in the place that night. He eventually became musical director of Saturday Night Live. And we were saying, oh, we should put a band together. And he said, yeah, you could call yourself the Blues Brothers. Subsequently, that's, that's what we did. He's a fascinating human, isn't he? It's, it's... <laughs> I'd made more money than the Prime Minister. Um, <laughs> but needless to say, the idea was sparked. But it took a few years, I think, before it actually really came together. It sounds like they did a bit of, um, like they started performing, I guess, informally. I think on SNL they did like crowd warm-ups and that kind of thing. And um, But eventually it was, I think it was a, an episode that Carrie Fisher hosted in 1978 where they had their first appearance as the official Blues Brothers in fully formed. And um, I think it was a cold open and it was just that the performance from the from the climax of this film, well, this film has many climaxes, I suppose, the climactic performance before the flying cars basically in this film yeah. was the performance they did on that show. And, man, it's a, a musical climax. A musical climax. And it's electric and it's fascinating because it's not even, if you just look at the musical act, it's not really explicitly comedy. It's just a thing they decided to do. It's fascinating. And it had the whole band, like it had the legit band. It wasn't just those two guys what was the and, um, What was the act? What was the song they did? Um, it was, where did I find it? Here it is. Uh, Soul Man. It was Soul Man. They come out fully formed. <laughs> and I think, in my opinion, this performance <laughs> is better than any performance in the movie. It's electric. Really? It's just the way for the, ah, oh, doing his own stunts. <laughs> <laughs> Loves the cartwheel. When they bust out in the dancing, it's just... Yeah, great. Yeah, that is um, so good. Like it's um, you can see the energy there because they're in. They're not only are they live on television, they're in front of a live audience. Yeah, and that whole that whole world is just geared for getting the to get the most insane performances out of people. Exactly. Um, because as a performer, like that's the height. You know, that's the height of performing. Is you're performing at an extremely risky live nationally broadcast televised <laughs> event in front of a live audience. That's it. That's like that's it. That's the that's the tightrope. That's the fun place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Far out. And gear might have been the operative word in the <laughs> um 
in the in the case of <laughs> yeah yeah the great Belushi yeah yeah got a bit more on that later um, but the guys in the band there it wasn't just the SNL band it was for the most part the band we see in the movie so um, Steve the Colonel Cropper on lead uh, ah the Colonel yeah from Booker T and the MGs Donald Duck Dunn on bass. Murphy Dunn on keyboards and tambourine. Willie Too Big Hall on drums. He, he worked with Isaac Hayes. Um, Steve Horton on drums. He's an SNL guy. Bones Malone and Matt Murphy, who was on uh, lead and rhythm guitar. He, he was um, uh, Matt Guitar Murphy. <laughs> he was um, Aretha Franklin's husband on the. Uh, in the, the film, movie, yeah. In the film. And, and so they had already handpicked all these guys. Between the two of them and Paul Schaefer, of all people, they curated this band personally. Just, again, as super fans mm. of blues music, they curated <laughs> this band together. So what was, and sorry, actually what just was Paul made Schaefer's it. involvement? He was involved from the from day one. Um, I missed that. Yeah. He, he, was probably um, music, he was probably a musical director of SNL back then or something like that. He probably had mm, some involvement, yeah. He only wasn't in the movie because he was double booked. But um, otherwise, he would have been in the movie. <laughs> well, actually, Paul Schaefer made it into Blues Brothers two thousand. He did. Uh, I'll have you know. <laughs> Back the wrong horse, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he played with them on. The, I think he played with them on their albums and and all that kind of shit. Yeah. I think that's the other thing to point out here. Paul Paul Schaefer's an artist in his own right. He yeah. he he's written so many yeah. classics. I think he wrote "It's Raining Men." I think he did. Yeah, that's the only one I could yeah. think of. Too. <laughs> I think he did. I didn't know that or I, I couldn't recall that. Yeah. And I think important to call out on this origin story too is like, yes, they performed on SNL and yes, it was electric and it, it was a, a big success. They didn't just jump straight to movie. They, they kept performing as a band. So the, the next performance was when Steve Martin came mm. on to host and ended up opening for Steve Martin on his um, on one of his shows. At that mm. show they recorded a live album which was titled Briefcase for the Blues, and that became their debut album, like way before the movie came out. Mm. And it reached number one on the Billboard 200, went double platinum. Soul Man and Rubber Biscuit became top 40 hits. Mm. Huge. So these guys were, they didn't just play singers in a movie. Like they had a band in real life and they just happened to make a movie on top of it. It's fascinating <laughs> stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. And it was all That's in character great. too. It was all in character. So in the in the sleeves of the record, it had the backstory of these imaginary blues brothers, including all mm. the detail um, of growing up in the orphanage and learning blues from a janitor named Curtis. So, <laughs> right, right. There yeah, you go. So, so much of the film, it's, it's almost a theoretical biopic in a way. <laughs> what we ended yeah, up yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They've so they've built they gradually built the law over these small events. They've built up this yeah. myth um, around their performing and you know these characters have enormous backstories. So when it came to probably writing the film, they just kind of put it all together. Yeah. And yeah. like Landis said, you know, we, we they wrote three hundred pages. Um, they yeah. don't need three hundred pages for a feature film. They whittled it down yeah. because they had so much stuff to put in it. Exactly. So he had all this. I wonder what law. else they had in there. I know that's the, if I ever get to interview Jonathan Landis um, before he passes, that yeah. is going to be the question. What else? What did you cut out of the Blues Brothers script? All I can gather yeah. is that it seemed like there was more story for each band member's recruitment. Ah, right. Yeah, that seems to be an overarching thing. But to your point, that's exactly it. So Dan Aykroyd wrote the first version of the script, and he had all this law already in his head, and just poured mm. it out all out onto the page, and had all these rich 
recruitment stories for each every single one, which now in the Netflix era, it might have made a great TV show to do all those. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, it would have been a, would have been like a ten episode show. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Landis was like, okay, this is this is cool, but we're going to need to reshape this a little bit. And so he kind of worked his magic in turning it into a filmable film. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, Greg, as you alluded to, there was, of course, uh, a little. Uh, the budget for this film, side note, was twenty-seven million dollars, which is huge mm. for nineteen eighty. Huge back then. For yeah, context, massive. It's the same year as Empire Strikes Back, and and the budget for that was thirty-three million. So huge. Wow. Now a huge risk. Wow. Huge risk. Um, it, but it also it's based on a bunch of characters that are really popular on television, so it would have been a pretty easy get for a network, yeah. like for a for a studio to go, yeah, well let's let's scale that up. That would have been a good that would have been a good bet. Yeah, yeah, star power as well. Um, ah, yeah, Belushi's obviously top of the world. All the, all the musicians: time. Belushi, Aykroyd, Carrie Fisher. Oh my God, Risa Franklin. Gosh, that would bit have been of candy. Like your candy, yeah, yeah, candy would have been huge at this time. All those SNL folks. Yeah, right. I'm in. Sign me up. <laughs> Where do I get a ticket? <laughs> I couldn't get a breakdown of the budget, but allegedly a portion of it did go to cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> so I found this I little that. nugget. Mm-hmm. It's a quote. Cocaine uh, was already so prevalent on the set, like many other films of that era, that Aykroyd, who used far less than his partner, claims a section of the budget was actually set aside for purchases of the drug during night shooting. Um, the stars had a private bar, the Blues Club, built on set for themselves, crew and friends. Carrie Fisher, who was Aykroyd's girlfriend at the time, said the most, uh, said that most of the bar staff doubled as dealers procuring any drug patrons desired. Oh the 80s, God. baby. What a world. <laughs> what a world. My God. Uh, can you imagine taking that budget to screen Australia? So $400,000 for cocaine, but we will be buying it from dealers of colour. So that's that's good news. That's good Tick. for diversity. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you say, Screen Australia? <laughs> anyway, bish bash bosh. You got to you get a few cars flying around Chicago, and you got yourself a movie. You better get bright, pal. We got a show to do. Then we got to figure out some way to collect that gate money. Get it to the Cook County Assessor's office as soon as they open in the morning. Joliet, Jake, and Elwood Blues. Two men with a mission, and only 11 days. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Our Lady of Blessed Acceleration, don't fail me now. For me and the Lord, you got to understand it. We're on a mission from God. Space in this mall. Run in it! Think! Run, let yourself be free! People walking around 
every day playing games and taking scores. Trying to make other people lose their mind. Well, be careful, you don't lose yours. Yeah, How are you going to raise $5,000 in 11 days without ripping off somebody? Dance to Jailhouse Rock. What a trailer. Now, before we get into, um, so Greg and I rewatched it this week. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it this week, Dan, but you're very well. I watched the first. I watched the first half hour of it, so no, I yeah. mean, <laughs> so you missed most of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't see them speak. <laughs> yeah, but it's all. It's like burnt into my brain. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into our initial uh, reactions, Greg, you want to break down the plot for us? Yeah, I'll give you a bit of a synopsis. Um, Look on the surface, it's a it's a classic race to save the orf- orphanage musical. Um, <laughs> a fairly simple and familiar plot. Scratch me beneath that surface, though, and you have a tale of redemption, a tale of steely determination, of one track mindedness, and of sweet sweet rhythm and blues. Blues brothers Jake and Elwood are on a mission from God. After being released from prison, Jake is taken by his brother Elwood to the Blessed Shroud Orphanage where they grew up. There, Sister Mary Stigmata informs them that the orphanage is being forced to close down due to back taxes of (laughs) $5,000, which needed to be paid in the next 11 days. And during a sermon by the Reverend Cleophus, Cleophus James, striking a strong resemblance to James Brown, Uh, At the Triple Rock Baptist Church, Jake has an epiphany that they can reform the band, the Blues Brothers, which they had abandoned while Jake was in prison, and raise money and save the orphanage, much like the Electric Boogaloo um, Save the Youth Centre, Electric Boogaloo (laughs) Part 2, I believe. (laughs) From there, they will race to convince the reluctant ex-band members to join the band, put on a show, raise the money, all whilst being chased by chased by state police, Nazis, the good old boys, and a stage five clinger princess Leia. <laughs> they did it dirty, man. That was yeah. <laughs> that was so bad, wasn't it? <laughs> anyway. Bechdel test is plummeting for, for this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Who needs it? See how these man. <laughs> um, man, they got a they got a coke budget. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Didn't have a Bechtel budget. Um, Dan, how did you go with the first half hour? And and beyond that, you know, looking through a 2020 lens, are there any, is there anything that pops out with this movie in terms of how well, how well it holds up or not that springs to mind? I have to say it holds up so well. I feel like yeah. the jokes are there, the characters are there, or a lot of the jokes are based in character. Um, there's so there's kind of jokes a little bit around plot and kind of technology that uh, kind of stand out like, oh, well, of course they would have like a computer in the car. But that doesn't really matter too much. Like I, I feel mm. like it's all driven from – uh, from character, everything mm. is driven from character in this film, and it's just great. Like I, I think, I think everything is kind of beautifully played, understated, and everything gets undercut along mm. the way. And I think that's still great. And there's still outlying jokes that you have in a film. Um, you know, I think I can't remember. Chekhov says you don't show a loaded, you don't show a gun in the first act, uh, and uh, and without it going off by the end of the second act. Um, but there's stuff, there's stuff in this film where it seeds it, but it never ever pays off. <laughs> like 
Like, for instance, you know when he walks into the transient hotel and he says, you got my cheese whiz, boy? That is one of my favourite lines of the film. (laughs) And for no reason he throws this can of cheese to this old bloke playing poker and it's like, I wonder if that's coming back. No, that's never coming back. Like, that's never explained. It's just an old bloke who wants cheese and, uh, and yeah. And so, you know, he's getting cheese, which is great. Um, so, like, it's, it just plays, plays in the, once again into the characters of these boys. Yeah. These boys are good boys. You know, they look after people. Um, and I really, yeah, I just think it, I think it's great. I think it still holds up today, yeah. I think that's the thing. Because they made this film with already two fully formed characters at the heart of it, it must have come so naturally to just expand on what already existed and the characters are so specific to your point. You can have those throwaway lines that is it going to come back? Is it not? But it just, it's so specific that it just feels like some kind of, it feels real. It feels. And those, and those lines sit with you. Like you got my cheese whiz boy sits has (laughs) sat with me for 30 years. The other one that really, um, sits with me is when they're all when the troopers are watching the band and John Candy's ordering people ordering for people is like yes. orange whip orange whip orange whip, whip. Orange whip. <laughs> three orange whips yeah and it's like what it isn't what is an orange whip like i don't yeah. know what an orange whip is but it makes say? it makes me laugh <laughs> and uh, you know i will do i'll do that with my friends I'll, you know my yeah. my friend kale bain loves the blues brothers as well so orange i'll whip. go yeah, orange whip orange whip <laughs> orange whip Three orange whips. <laughs> and the thing is, like, if he wants an orange whip, <laughs> it's going to be actually four orange whips, but that's okay. But, and the other thing that really, um, like, and there's, uh, there's a bit of this, like, this music, there is music in the dialogue. Like, there is, like, syncopation in the dialogue uh, that, that brings jokes to a place where you wouldn't normally have jokes. So when, when you're a writer... Like, so I, I write and perform comedy and so I always try and find ways to kind of get a rhythm going in dialogue to kind of hit it. Mm. And there's that one line when they're being pulled over immediately after being after leaving jail, right? And it's like um, Jake and Elwood um, are in the car and Elwood notices there's cops behind him and he goes, shit. And Jake says, what? He says, rollers. No. Yeah. Shit, like that. Yeah. It's so. It's like such a simple thing. It goes like, it goes. Shit. What rollers? No. Yeah. Shit. Like that mm. is such beautiful rhythm in that dialogue. Yeah. It's incredible. And the other part where I, I was like, wow, they've really focused. They've really nutted this down to like the fine art for editing. Was when the state trooper is is crashed his car into the boxes of cereal and he says, I'm going to get that sucker if it's the last thing I ever do. And on do, the music starts. Like yeah. it's like this beautiful, like last thing I ever do is like one, two, three, four, boom. The dialogue counts in the music. Like the the attention to detail is so clever yeah. when they put this together. And it's like it's attention to detail but also minimalistic in a way, in the dialogue at least. Like those examples strip, you yeah, just gave. right back, yeah. Yeah, compared to like the Apatowian jokey joke dialogue riffy riff of today, it's so simple <laughs> yeah. to the point where it's like yeah. they're not they're not really just, you know, slinging zingers around. The situation's like funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the situation yeah, like the, just keeps heightening. They'll pepper in a few words that, that heighten it even further, but it's not so much, you know, Lots of space in this mall. Yeah, lo- lo- all understated. It's so dry. Everything is so dry from those characters. 
Um, you know, like they, the, uh, the apartment block gets blown up and they stand up <laughs> through the bricks and yeah. then Jake looks, uh, you know, uh, Edward looks at his watch and is like, it's almost nine o'clock. We got to go to work. Dude, your fucking house got blown up. Like, yeah. that's so that's so funny. And like even at the end of the film, it's like half a pack of cigarettes, full tank of gas. Uh, it's dark yeah. and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. That's another great one where the music kind of slams in, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like it's like count. It's like each one each one of those beats is like counting in a song, you know. Yeah, and musically, it's fascinating too because it is it is a musical technically. Although I think for a lot of people, it doesn't necessarily feel that way because you've got cut, you've got so many things in there that aren't typically in musicals. But also, you've got kind of the two layers of the music there. You've got like them singing, like the, the music that's happening within the film with Aretha Franklin and all those guys. But then you've got the music that's that's more needle drops throughout, like a almost like um, Baby Driver or something as well. So it's mm, yeah. it's coming at it from both angles, which is mm. this was nearly four, this was forty years ago, forty one years ago, <laughs> and it's oh got God. it's just such like a potent mix of all these things. And I think um, yeah, totally. We've covered a few musicals on the pod so far, and the ones that aren't animated, they all feel very on set, very sound stagey and that mm. kind of thing. But this one is so much out in the real world. It just has such a different energy to it. No other musicals we've covered had car chases and explosions and <laughs> Carrie Fisher with a rocket launcher. Like it's it's just yeah. a, an unexpected mix of all these things that just gives it this wild energy. Oh, yeah, and the, and it's all perfect. Like it's just the choices are divine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love the you know the ride of the Valkyries when the Nazis are falling off yeah. the freeway. It's just <laughs> <laughs> you wonder great. if um, this sort of thing's an influence on like Trey Parker and Matt Stone because they've obviously subverted musicals, yeah, some you know, so much in their career. And then this is kind of the OG of that, isn't it? Like this is not a musical in well, by definition, it almost is, but you don't think of it that way and it's doing so many things that you wouldn't expect from a musical yeah. that they've, that, that, you know, that they've run with and kind of made a career with. Yeah. Mm. It was probably, yeah, for the time, I guess it was maybe like a, a reinvention of the musical. Yeah, I, they did uh, they did turn it into a stage musical in the 90s and it did tour around the world. Um, there was an Australian version of, uh, of the music. And does, anyone, does anyone here on the podcast know who played uh, Jake Elwood on, on this, or Jake or Elwood on the, in the Australian version of the Blues oh, Brothers? Oh, no. It wasn't Daryl Summers or someone, was it? It wasn't Daryl Summers, no. Uh, uh, I don't know. Who would I believe it be? Jake was played by Russell Crowe. No way! Uh, oh. Yeah, and so here's that. Here's a story from that. Um, my friend Nick Murray, who's been the executive producer of TV shows I've worked in over the years, he was an executive producer of Steve Vizard's Tonight Show, right? And oh, yeah, so he was a he was a it was a producer on that show when he was a young producer. And um, for some reason, they had a big American star come into Channel Seven, and so that big American star was going to be the first guest. Um, uh, rather than Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe was going to be the first guest, but right. they pushed him back to be the second guest. Uh, yeah. Russell Crowe stopped Nick Murray in the corridor of Channel 7, put his arm up against his chest and says, nobody bumps Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> And Nick the Murray said, uh, "Nick Murray said, oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid you are going to be bumped.' <laughs> so, so uh, and then <laughs> he stormed off, and apparently they didn't play the Blues Brothers were pie. meant to do a, 
a musical song on the Fireside so on the Fireside show, but they didn't end up doing it. So there you go. That's my one story about um, the, the Blues Brothers live experience. It's nice when you hear a celebrity is exactly how you expect. <laughs> yeah. I thought Rusty was going to be the bearded man on the walk with with Packer, so I'm glad he's come back. <laughs> <laughs> we Rusty and I have got a unique relationship. Like he he and I DM. Like he wanted to come on tonightly, um, and he was like pitching me this sketch one night, one late night, um, and he was like like writing it line for line, and <laughs> the whole the whole premise was him. Ging up Australia to vote Scott Morrison out, pretty much. It was about becoming, it was about Australia becoming a republic and him becoming the president of Australia. (laughs) (laughs) So we, we put it through the system. We tried to, we tried to, we wrote, rewrote it. We added a couple of jokes. Bad idea. Never rewrite Russell. Um, and we put some production in place. It was in our last couple of weeks of the show and, um, he ended up not wanting to do it in the end, but like, you know, he wrote a script for us to do. And so we tried to get him on, but didn't quite work. So you had to let him, he had to let it die on his end. I've never actually met him. I've actually only I've, I've met him once. Um, I met him once at the Sundance Film Festival in 2002 um, and he was promoting a documentary about his band 30-odd foot of grunt and I was, I, was like, I was like 21. I had a video camera for the first time and it was in the snow and he walked by and I said, oh, Mr. Crow, I said, Mr. Crow, um, how much of your music is inspired by Bananarama? And he said, <laughs> how much of your nose is inspired by the same people? And walked off. So that was the first time I met him. Wow. (laughs) Hey, do you know what did sting me a little bit um, in this film or re-watching this film? And this happens from time to time with, you know, with the material we deal with is quite often when we first view it, we are young, younger Mm. by a lot than the... And now we're older than the protagonists. Older than the protagonists. Yeah. Yeah, I was like walking down the street thinking about it this morning and I was like, oh, my God, I'm older than these guys. Man, we're older than Homer Simpson. It's crazy. Well, you guys have, it sounds like you guys have kids, so, you know, you're you're actually forced forced into ageing. I don't. (laughs) No, the the. Only me, the the one with no hair. Right. I mean, you could trade here. See, I mean, look at Tristan and I. You you could look like Greg, or you could not have kids and have gorgeous hair. <laughs> Those are the two options in life. Trade off. Yeah. But <laughs> Greg, you've made little people that look like you, so that's fine. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, well, they've got hair. <laughs> they've got hair. You've got two heads <laughs> for the price of one. It all nets out. You got to pay Great. it forward. Yeah, you pay the hair forward. But man, like I when I. It was part of the thing, like watching these guys when I was young, especially Belushi, because I didn't see him in much else when I was a kid. Dan mm. Aykroyd, obviously, with Ghostbusters and th- things, but but for me, Belushi was was Jake Blues. That was yeah, he was literally it. that guy. Yeah. Um. And so, as I've got older and obviously seen him in other things and kind of understood a bit about him, it's kind of that probably changed a little bit as well. As in, he was not. He well, he was younger than me now, for one. <laughs> but he's a. There's more to him than just being Jake Blues, which been was that kind guy, of, I like yeah, him just as Jake Blues. Person, <laughs> so that's okay. Understandable. No, but I time. I'm totally with you, Greg. Like it's it's uh, a little disconcerting. <laughs> I like feel he's like only what like 31. I feel like what have I done with my life? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> haven't been to jail. <laughs> haven't been in a blues band. I actually, I'm actually thinking about it as a creator. I'm like, God, these guys have made so many films by my yeah. age. I've really fucked it up. I need to figure out how to make more films. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. Every pumped, now and they then, pumped them out, man. Every now and then, I come across that Facebook post of you know 
Alan Rickman wasn't in Die Hard until he was 45 or whatever. You know, all those, that list of things, <laughs> yeah. you're like, I can still make it. I, still, I got this. Great, great. I can't <laughs> wait to be in my first thing that someone recognises me from. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm holding out for the Colonel Sanders Hail Mary. He was like 70 or 65 when he released KFC. So that's, that's my angle. Well, also, um, who's the guy that's in... Um, White Lotus, the Aussie guy, he's fucking good. He's so good in that. I forget his name. name. Murray Bartlett. Now, Mar- Murray is so good in that film, in that series. It's like, oh, my God, like, where have you been? Where, exactly. Where has this, this mega star been? He's so funny. He's so spot on. He's so savage. Uh, and now, of course, I won't say anything. Oh, we can't say anything yeah, <laughs> But they're talking about they're talking about doing sequels of this of this um, or another series of White Lotus. I just hope they do a prequel so we can see more of Murray Bartlett. Or he Join may just dots. be onto bigger and better things as Join well. The dots, yeah. I was trying to move on to didn't spoil. <laughs> but he may just move on. I'm hoping it's now this is his moment and he can now just le- like just be in other shit because I was the same. Oh, I'm like, yeah. Who is this guy? I Googled him. Such a breakout moment. Yeah. Amazing. And I look I went to his IMDB and he should have a much fuller IMDB than than he does. Like it's like there's ten things there. It's like, oh my God, you've been hustling to get great stuff going. Uh, and it looks like 2014 he had a good breakout moment with HBO and that led to another HBO thing and now this is his third big thing at HBO and that's yeah, kind of blown right. up. And it's like, wow, you're so funny. Like this is such a great comedy character dark comedy character. I really hoped. Yeah. Gets another one like it soon. Yeah, he was great. He was so good. Anyway, that gives that also gives me hope, Greg. All the older <laughs> actors making it, making it later in life. I think you're doing all right, mate. I think you're doing all right. Not everyone can have a podcast, Greg. <laughs> oh, oh, but they can. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is the challenge, yeah. <laughs> we like to think we 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 tell ourselves that we got in just before it was like, oh really? You're you're two middle-aged white guys who Talk to each other about whatever you feel like. Right. And yeah. what do your what do your partners feel about this process? This little they're very supportive. Very supportive. They're so supportive. Are they? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That's great. I know. I know. Yeah, that's no, good. it is because we both have day jobs. We work in corporate world in in advertising and things. And so this is all our frustrations there in in trying to get to do things creatively and all that. All that stress and some sometimes, dare I say, lack of fulfilment in creative expression, we get to have a few beers and talk about movies on a Friday night, put it out in the world on a Monday and some people listen talk to it. Talk about other people's creative expression. Yeah, and talk about other people's creative <laughs> things. And it feels nice to, to put something out in the world. That's nice. When sometimes at work all you're doing is swimming against the tide, swimming against uh, the tide. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Hey, I've got one for you guys. Yes. It's, it's a question about the fair city of Chicago. Um, which obviously <laughs> features heavily in this film. Um, yeah, a major character. You, you might even you, say. You must say it's a major character of this film. Mm, mm. <laughs> if, a question for you. If Chicago is getting two love letters in the mail, um, you know, it's, 19, it's 1980, uh-huh. there's no DMs to slide in, there's two snail mail love letters, perfume, little frilly thing coming there. In the letterbox, Chicago opens it up, one's from the Blues Brothers, One's from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Who's getting laid? Who's, whoa, okay. Damn. Oh, well, I think um, Ferris Bueller can't 
do that legally because he's too young. So yeah, probably the Blues <laughs> Brothers. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think yeah. This is this is great because um, Chicago does play a major role in both films, and I feel like this is the beauty of American cinema, right? This is this is part of the mismaking of America, and I feel like one of the things that we don't do enough in Australia is make films where our cities are the are the characters. Um, and yeah, that's cool. I feel like there's just so it's such a simple narrative this dumb film <laughs> this dumb film that it's a long it's a two-hour long indulgent sketch that's what it is and uh, it's it, it's you know about the same size as an snl sketch is today so it's um <laughs> uh yeah th- this is one of the things where you can actually make these films within the cities and have the cities themselves be play a major role in in the character in the shape of the tone of the film and i think i think um i think the blues brothers does it so well because you get a whole bunch of different parts of the city you get industrial illinois mm. you get downtown chicago you get um the the crystal palace ballroom you get the countryside you get you get the highway the interstate it, it, there's so much in it and i feel like i feel like it's um it's totally the boys brothers boys brothers win on this one nice. yes what do you think tristan uh, i have to agree um they'd also bring a lot more cocaine so I think it's party time <laughs> with the Blues Brothers. And that part of America, that you know, that part of America is super interesting. Midwest America is such an interesting um it's like the most American part of America. You know, it's uh mm. it's it's super yeah, it's it's super American. Um mm. but yeah, no it's it's great. I think as well you could, because it actually was shot in Chicago as well. Like you actually see in the streets of Chicago. It just feels real, you know. You know you know you're not in you get that generic vibe of when they shoot in in um in Canada and that kind of thing. Oh, like they shoot Vancouver for New yeah, York. Vancouver, yeah, Vancouver, that's what it is, yeah. And um, it Look, just... I watch a lot of Family Matters, so I'm, I'm very familiar with the landscape, <laughs> of, uh, especially the city skyline. I could pick it, you know, a mile away. I know when there's a fake. <laughs> Thank you, Winslows. Are you both from Sydney? Yes. Yeah. Um, have you watched Lux Listing Sydney? Uh, I yes. haven't, um, but I've I heard have. it's highly entertaining. It's, oh, it's very entertaining, but they use the same bit of B-roll uh, of driving down Old South Head Road for pretty much every interstitial. So I was like, well, hang on. They're just driving <laughs> down the same bit of road again. Um, and well, it's Lux, it's Lux, Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I should see. Yeah. Yeah. Lockdown listing Sydney is probably the next sketch we should do. <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea. You could probably just take the characters directly. So all on yeah, Zoom. Put them in, I yeah. Assume. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that, that's a good example of where the city is. Is playing a role, you know. It's like Sydney is playing the role of the beautiful stage. There you go. Fucking atrocity. It's such a good show. point because, like, if you, what have we done? Like, thinking back, two hands was such a nice, oh, yeah, experience watching our city. That captures and King's Cross for sure. and all those. You know, it's a, it, yeah, it's something. Um, it's something. You know, it's something that's not particularly familiar for us. But when you do see it, it's it's. It's great. Yeah, right. It's it's storytelling. It's telling stories about ourselves to ourselves, and I think that's you know, so I, it helps build helps build our our own sense of culture, and I think that's mm. uh, important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, one thing that stood out to me in this that doesn't always necessarily hold up when we do a movie from nineteen eighties was this was the effects and stunts and that kind of shit. It was legit. It's because all because it's mostly and probably all of it is all in camera, so it's yeah. all there. Like there's it's not it's there's no CG, there. it's exactly. all there in camera. It's cars hitting into each other. 
They dropped yeah. the they dropped the Nazi car from a helicopter. They found an abandoned yeah, mall. <laughs> they had an abandoned mall that, that they true? dressed up. Um, yep. And all the people, all the humans you're seeing in that scene are all stump people. So a lot of the budget goes to that kind of thing where it's they have to yeah. pay because you can't just have regular humans walking around while they're driving through in a car. But they they went to so much effort with all of these things, and they just look fucking epic. It's because it's, it's all real. It's all there. It's all real. The only the, the only thing that's not really real is like the the filming of the dialogue in the cars. You can kind of see the 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 Kinney, um, yeah, behind them, like as they're driving around. Mm. But that's that's totally fine. But Everything, I the major stunts are totally a bit real. of charm. I think that's the only thing too with some of the musical performances is like we played that SNL clip before and it sounds too in studio a little bit sometimes when mm. they're singing live on stage. And it, at first I was like, well, maybe Belushi is not that strong of a singer, but that SNL clip, he nailed it. And I think especially when you're singing the blues, it's okay to hear a little bit of imperfections and that kind of thing. Like that's the soul of it all, right? So yeah, I would have liked you, can, to have seen, you can hear yeah. the audio engineering kick in for the songs. Like, yeah. uh, there's a really good bit. It's very obvious, and that is in the diner with Aretha Franklin. Yeah, um, where she's like, "You're not, you not getting your dry white toast. You're not getting your four fried chickens, and you're not get, getting Mac Guitar Murphy. Hit it!" And like, <laughs> it's that dialogue that is all of a sudden a different quality than the rest of the dialogue that you've heard. It's like, yeah. oh, exactly, someone's paid attention to this. Exactly, and it kind of takes you out a little bit. And again, this is I'm nitpicking here. Only, then, only a little bit. Like only a little if bit. You, if you go, like you get to get to film, you got to have fun. You got to have fun, yeah, yeah, guys. Exactly. Yeah. And the song is so, and the whole scene so amazing that you get pulled back in straight away. Anyway, the, the other the other funny complication with scenes like that and with talent like this is you get the Aretha Franklins of the world. She can't lip sync because she doesn't lip sync. <laughs> and so she can't do the same thing. She can't do the same performance twice because she's performing it. And so that's why that scene's very choppy. They had a similar challenge with James Brown and they ended up just having, re- they ended up recording him live in the scene because he, he cannot perform the same way twice. Yeah. Everything Amazing. else. I got to see, I got to see James Brown at the Good Vibes confer- uh, concert, I think in like 2003, oh, no 2004. Oh, good vibes. It would have been, would have been two, two years before he passed away. And I was so oh, happy man. to see him. It was incredible. Yeah. I also saw Aretha Franklin. Um, my friend Brad Blanks and I, we crashed the Grammys after party in 2008 at Sony at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And we're on the red carpet there and Aretha, Aretha Franklin walked past. So I got a photo oh. of Aretha Franklin just to kind of. Doing that. Oh, that's so, amazing. In real life, in real life. It's so good. Has um anyone here seen Blues Brothers 2000? Yeah, I saw it a long time ago, once, and I didn't think I would ever see it again. <laughs> that sounds about right. I haven't seen it. Have you seen it, Craig? I haven't. No, I haven't. I remember seeing, I remember I remember the, the campaign when it launched, but I never watched it. They performed at the Super Bowl. Isn't that <laughs> wild? And what, had, to, to promote the film? They were the halftime act, yeah, and it was in wow, line wow. with the launch of the movie. Yeah, Jim Belushi John as, as Jake. Uh, uh, John Goodman's in the mix there somewhere. Yeah, John Goodman's in it. Some kid is in it. Dan Aykroyd's yeah. in it. Paul Schaefer's in it. <laughs> yeah. But just, yeah. I just find it fascinating. I find it mind-blowing that the Super Bowl halftime show, you got you got Prince, you got Michael Jackson, you got Beyonce up there on that same level of fame you, you have Jim Belushi one year. Singing the blues. <laughs> it's bizarre. It's so strange that that was the halftime show. Uh, do you follow? He's a weed do you follow now. Jim? Bel- yeah. Do you follow Jim yeah. Belushi on Twitter now? I follow him. He's a weed farmer. I, I follow oh, that's him on right. Instagram. Yeah, Craig I follow him on, on Twitter, and uh, he's always tweeting about his weed farm. 
Yeah. Fascinating. It's Good business same, to be It's in. the same setup on Instagram. He's, he's a weed farmer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I knew about, as I think I said earlier, I knew him way more growing up than I did than yeah. I did um, John because because K9. He was alive. Mr. Destiny. Of course. Yeah. yeah. K9. Wow. Yeah, K9. What a great post-up that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not to be confused with Turner and Hooch. No, yeah, Turner yeah. Hooch. Yeah, Turner Hooch, K9. Copy, copy, cut films. Mm, big time. Hey, Greg, I, uh, I know you've had to think about how you would potentially recast this film in the in the current era. Oh, yeah. Look, I got a bit carried away. <laughs> um, Dan, we, we sometimes like to do a little bit of a recasty and think if it was made again today, who would play? Not necessarily that it should be made again today, but if it were. Sure, hypo- sure. Hypothetically. Yeah. Um, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. So, and you know, I've just got a lunch. I'm just going to say a whole heap of names. I thought uh, a combination uh, of Donald Glover and Chance the Rapper could be like a. That's really good. Yeah, mm, that's good. That's good. Could be like as our as our main guys. And then I went down a shopping list of who could join them along the way. Zoe Kravitz could be in there. Yep, totally. And a bit of you know, it's two, it's 2022 by the time this is getting. Made. No, yeah, no, you uh, need that. Yeah, Jack Black. I'd like him in there somehow. That would be great, yeah. Yeah. Um, Macaulay Culkin's apparently a musician, so <laughs> let's get him in there. Why not? And yep. then it, it is Chicago, so let's get like Buddy Guy, let's get Kanye West in there somewhere. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I like it. Bill yeah. Murray. He's, he's yeah, a, Chance he's an is Illinois Chicago man. as well, yeah. And then the, Jamie Foxx obviously as Ray Charles. Awesome. Yeah, I think mod. all of these are great suggestions, really, really good suggestions. The only serious yeah. one I had to add was Jeff Bridges. Um, I think he's got some some musicalness there, and he can wear a pair of shades. Let's yes. be honest. The rest of mine were just oh. terrible because I I know I would like I to knew- see uh, I would like to see Ronnie Chang as a cop. I think Ronnie would do a great job <laughs> yeah. as a yeah. cop chasing him down. <laughs> like so much anger yeah. in that man. I would like trust to see the that. old dean. Yeah, it works. <laughs> um, I knew I knew Greg, you were nailing the serious recasties. So I just I tried to come up with the worst possible cast. And so in the leads, oh, yeah. I had I had Steven Seagal and Bruce Willis as the leads. <laughs> Steven Seagal's a, Steven Seagal's a blues man. Um, if you're not familiar, songs from the Crystal uh, Cave is a uh, one of his classic play, albums. He can play guitar. He, he can actually can play it. guitar. Yeah, but um, Bruce Willis, it's obviously the return me. of Bruno. Then I thought, why not throw in a little Corey Feldman? Very musical. Maybe some Jeremy Renner, <laughs> he, he, and maybe even some Jared Leto. Who knows? Um, Lovely. Yeah. Uh, Oscar that's good. bait, obviously. That, that's some good. Oscar bait. That's some good. That's some good gear right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's some good names. Yeah, yeah, it's a strong cast. Anyway, should we get into the verdict for this particular? Yes, picture? do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. I think we've we've all kind of said it. This thing, especially being from 1980, for me, usually when we do a, a movie from 1980, the verdict goes a little something like, well, for the time, you know, like <laughs> give it a few allowances, that kind of thing. This nah. just straight up holds up, man. And it, yeah. it's very different to any movie released in the last 20, 30 years. It's so fresh and 
different. It's definitely a rewatch for me. It's great. It's yeah. got so many little bits. It's got so many great scenes that are all miniature sketches that are all jammed together as yeah. a big feature film. And I think that is just a hallmark of a great comedy. You've got all these great little scenes that are wonderfully self-contained that are mm. hilarious in their own right and uh, eminently watchable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you nailed it earlier when you were saying um, the attention to detail in just those yeah. micro moments and you've stitched them all together mm. and just the music. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and really unusual choices. Music, like when you think of the most iconic scenes of, of Blues Brothers, one you may not ever think of is the girlfriend Ipanema Muzak in the lift going up to the Cook County Centre. That is That has become a trope in thousands of productions. Just the oh, dun, 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 dun. The world's falling apart around them. As a real yeah, point of contrast. Just that 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 choice of song, that choice of music in that lift, that painful tension of what's happening in that lift versus what's happening outside, that has become that has become a trope that's everywhere. And because and that's just that was in that started in the Blues Brothers. It's just a funny choice in the Blues Brothers. Yeah, wow. I had no idea about that. That's oh, I love that. I love like a really obscure cultural legacy like that. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. good. And I think mm. like overall this one, we've touched on it a million times, but I think it is just the fact that this came from such a genuine and authentic place of actual passion for the music and done so mm. respect. So if this was just written by some guy and then they cast two white guys in the leads, it probably wouldn't sit as well. I mean, it wouldn't look as, it wouldn't be executed as It wouldn't as well, get funding stop. from Screen Australia. This wouldn't get funding <laughs> yeah. from Screen Australia. <laughs> but it would even be slightly problematic, right? Like these two white guys coming in and, you know, yeah. the Kings of Blues kind of thing. But it's, it comes from you, such you a genuine can't, yeah, place. No, two white guys doing a, doing a feature film about blues is never going to get up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so it's kind of, I guess, on paper. Two white guys, guess- <laughs> two white guys doing, a, doing, a, doing a film about blues trying to raise money for a Catholic orphanage. <laughs> Isn't never, isn't it? It's never going to get up. It's not a good Bondi to Bronte jog pitch, that one. It's, no, you it's can't. A tough, no, you it's can't. a tough call, especially yeah. with Brett so, Ratner. He's- <laughs> James, James, it, 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 the one's called Jake. <laughs> it's kind of like you two. You know, one's tall and skinny. Well, you know, ish. one cool. is uh, one's short and fat. Uh Anyway, we've done recasties. Uh, I guess that's the verdict from us. Uh, all right. Back to back on you, Dan. Let's make sure we, we give you all the plugs you need to give. So obviously you've got the Rational Fear podcast. Um, that's it. Just just everyone if you, everyone who listens to this, if you could just go to www.irrationalfear.com, listen to the show. It's fast and funny. It's about the news mm-hmm. each week. We get great guests on to talk about um, the news, Australian politics, and we drill down on climate change. So it is. It might not sound that funny, but it is funny. Like it's re- it's really good. Fast and yeah, funny. Like we is can vouch for it as well. On. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. And don't even listen to us, Australian Podcast Award winner. The oh, yeah, I've got yeah. a best comedy podcast. There you go. I've got it. I've got it right here. Hey, so if you don't believe there us, he is. that's me. Bart, that's the sound of me biting my award. Uh, yes, I won the um, right won the best comedy podcast for comedy 
at the Australian Podcast Awards 2020. The best. Um, mm. And for the people who are listening, um, it, if you can imagine the kind of trophy that a hairdresser would have at your local salon for being the best in the Small local area, that <laughs> is the quality of this trophy. It's very good. It's very good. <laughs> it's the Logies of podcasting. Yeah. And you've got a rotation of, your, um, of guests that sort of form a core group. Uh, yeah, the core. I mean, uh, Lewis Hobber from Triple J is, is the main uh, co-host, uh, and then mm-hmm. we often t- talk with Alice Fraser from The Bugle and Sammy Shah. Um, this week we had uh, a Just the Gist crossover podcast, so we had the hosts of Just the Gist, um, which is Rosie Waterland and Jacob Stanley. They were on, and we also had Adam Band on the show this week, who's the leader of the Greens. Um, and you know, we we get huge. We get surprisingly big names. Darren mm. Darren Hayes from Sound uh, from Savage Garden just messaged really? me on Instagram saying that um, messaged me on, on Twitter saying that he'd wants to do the show. Um, oh, really? We had Anthony Scaramucci on our US special. We had Dave Anthony on our US special. Um, I've had the Prime <laughs> Minister Kevin Rudd on the show. Um, yeah. yeah, there's like we get tons of tons of big names on our show. So good. Uh, it's a it's it's a high quality production. It's obviously big issues and dealt with in the in the perfect tone of satire that um, that we that we know and love from you, Dan. So it's, it's we a take the show. biggest issues and we do a big we on them. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That was a lot more um, eloquent than um, than I was. Than I we was piss at politics on a great height from a great height, a safe distance. <laughs> yeah, a safe, a safe distance. distance. Yeah, that's the key. <laughs> All right, friends of the show, what have we got next week, Greg? I can't remember. I think Surprise. we've got – is it the Gladiator, the boxing one, or is it something else? Oh, I think it is Gladiator, the Gladiator, the, bo- the 1992 yeah, one, not the – Yeah, don't, not our friend yeah, Russell Crowe. Don't, friends of the show, don't get, don't get it confused with, with the Rusty <laughs> Award, uh, Academy Award winner. It's the 1992 boxing film with Cuba Gooding Jr., Brian Dennehy, and that guy from P, uh, Twin Peaks – Right, I, I was. Thought, I thought you were talking about Vulcan and Cheetah and Delta from the Channel Seven show, uh, Gladiator. That's, uh, <laughs> Mike That's Whitney. So you should get Mike Whitney on the show. That would be oh, something. We, that would be something. I don't. I don't think you'd forgive me from the time I interrupted him filming Who Dares Wins at the Easter Show in nineteen twenty-two. <laughs> it. You know what, Greg? He still talks about that moment. Yeah, he's like, mate, I was trying to get someone to eat a cockroach. This little fucking shitty kid came up. (laughs) That's who's sending us all that hate mail. It all makes sense now. (laughs) Anyway, thanks so much for joining us, Dan. Yes, my pleasure. Excellent. Thank you, and friends of the show. We'll see you next week. Mm